You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by the fastest growing social media app for hunters and fishermen and the name of that app is go wild you can find out more about go wild by visiting their website time to go wild.com or you can go to google play store or wherever you download your apps and just search go wild it's a kick-ass app designed specifically for outdoor enthusiasts so give it a try Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, welcome back everybody to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Please go check out exodusoutdoorgear.com and take a look at Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, today, before I even talk about this badass podcast that we got going on, I want to do a little housekeeping, right? And the first thing that I want to say is if you haven't already, make sure you are following the Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram and Facebook. I put out a lot of great content specifically on my social media platforms. Also, if you haven't liked and shared and are a part of the social media platforms for the Sportsman's Nation, also Instagram and Facebook, please go like that. More awesome, great information to come. And uh, if, if you haven't had the opportunity to go to sportsmensnation.com that's sports m-e-n-s sportsmensnation.com and check out all of the other podcasts that are on the sportsman's nation podcast network i'm telling you as the founder of the company i am really proud of the content that we're putting out and i am so freaking jacked for 2019 and uh the additions that are coming not only more podcasts but more video content as well and uh man i'm just really excited uh for 2019 and uh, i'm excited for you guys to be a part of that so uh not only listen to the podcasts that are on the social or that are on the sportsman's nation but also make sure you're following all of them on uh 
like Facebook and Instagram as well, because there's a lot of great content that, uh, you know, is strictly on the social media platform. So uh, make sure you're following there. Also, if you love this podcast, and I know a lot of you do because I get a lot of emails from you guys and Facebook messages and Instagram messages uh, asking me questions or reaching out to me for podcast suggestions or whatever, um, go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and leave a review. Uh, That just helps other people know what they're getting into. It makes me look good or it makes the the network look good. So uh, be sure to to do that. And um, if this is the first time you've ever listened to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, I tell you what, all you have to do is go to wherever you download your podcast, right? If you're listening to this from the website or if you're listening to this for the first time and uh, you want to find out more, you can go to sportsmansnation.com or just go to iTunes and Google or go to iTunes and Google. Go to iTunes and search Sportsman's Nation, Whitetail, Sportsman's Nation, Big Game. We got fishing now. So, uh, uh, you know, you can search uh, some fishing. And uh, there's a ton of great content uh, on the Sportsman's Nation, especially through iTunes, that uh, you guys can can listen to. So that's the housekeeping that I wanted to uh, uh, take care of. Now, today's podcast, right? We're going to be talking with a gentleman named Chancy Walters. And if you don't know this guy, this guy is as passionate about the outdoors, not just whitetail hunting, but the outdoors in general. He's a he's a really really good outdoor uh, a wildlife artist and he's got a specific niche that we're going to talk about today. So, we have this is just an ultimate BS session, right? He's part of Whitetail Adrenaline uh that DVD series. If you're not familiar with that, you need to uh, look into that as well. Uh basically dudes just crushing public land. They've been doing it for several years and uh they do it in kind of an unorthodox way and this unorthodox way leads to them being successful uh more times than not. So, it's another badass podcast with another guest, a, a very unique, awesome guest, and uh, it's just a straight up BS session. So, but before we get into today's podcast, I want to take a, a second and talk about ripcord arrow rests. Right? I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about the company because I've, I feel like I've talked almost about everything that this company does, right? There, I will, I I can, I can confidently say this, that there is a very good chance that I don't ever, I will never use another company's arrow rest on my bow for, you know, several reasons. The main one being it works every single time and I've never had a problem with it, period. I used to have, uh, until I got one, I think it was either last year or the year before, a brand new one, um, the one that I had on my older bows, I had for like, man, I want to say seven years, maybe even longer. And I, I kicked the shit out of it, right? I got it dirty. I got mud in it, sand in it. It froze. You know, I'm, I'm pretty hard on my equipment. And this specific rest performed every single time. So if you haven't yet taken a look at ripcord uh, rests for your bows, you need to do so. So uh, go to ripcordarrowrest.com and check out all the options that they have. They have a limb-driven system, and they also have a um, 
uh, string driven system and that's what I use so uh, yeah be sure to go check out Ripcord now enough of the whoring out enough of the the bill paying let's get into today's BS session with my man Chancey Walters all right on the phone with me right now Mr. Chancey Walters how you doing man good man just painting away here trying to get these Christmas orders ready yeah, I hear that. Um, for for those of you who don't know, you are a wildlife artist, and we're going to get into all that, uh, amongst other things. But uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But why don't you go ahead, and we'll just start this off like I start off all these podcasts. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and what do you do for a living. You know, I do. I'm kind of. I kind of do all kinds of different things. I actually started painting as a real young age. I'm actually a wildlife artist. I've been pretty much full time ever since I uh, graduated high school. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to do stuff in the hunting and fishing industry. And uh, I got the art talent. So I've definitely been using it. It's kept me busy. I uh, have made a living doing it. I ain't rich by any means, but it gets, it pays the bills. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I enjoy it. I, I really do, but uh, you know, I love to hunt and fish, and I'm right down here in prime time in Southern Iowa, is where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and uh, very blessed to grow up in this area. I mean, it's got all the all the goodies that I love to do. You know, big bucks, awesome bass fishing, got tons of lakes right here, good turkey and waterfowl. It's prime time, good time down here. Absolutely. And uh, I think, man, I'm trying to think of the first time I ever met you. It was probably at the Iowa Deer Classic just like yeah. s- several years ago. And then uh, oh, you, yeah. know, you got involved with what? Whitetail Adrenaline, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Um, known Jared for a long time. And uh, we finally uh, were out battling some whitetails together the last three years now. So it's I'm having a good time with, with him for sure. Absolutely. So, how has your how has your season been so far from the whitetail side of things? Oh my gosh! Okay, well this year, uh, it was. Uh, I'm very very happy and fortunate with what I ended up harvesting. I um, started out in Iowa. Uh, we ended up getting kind of a late start. Ended up starting around, I think it was the fifth or sixth of November. Um, I actually had. A uh, really good friend of mine, professional cameraman Matt. He's actually Jim Shockey's cameraman. He filmed me for ten days in Iowa, and I killed one. Um, you know, snuck him on the ground. I mean, I actually I had all kinds of different opportunities. No big, you know, world class deer, nothing like that. Just beautiful animals. You know, I'm I'm not hunting. You know, obviously everybody wants to kill a you know a booner every year. You know, like that. But uh, I'm kind of if it's a if it's a you know beautiful looking deer and i'm into it and the situation's right and i can get some really cool footage in the situation i'm going to go in there and i'm going to be just as happy with that deer as i am you know hunting a a big booner or whatever like you know that's i just i'm at i'm enjoying my time a lot a lot better doing this and plus it's on public and it's the hardest way to hunt for sure i mean pretty much everything we're doing is like so so hard i mean the odds are against us for sure right and that's one thing that uh, the area that I hunt in, uh, my main farm, doesn't have a lot of public ground, but to the north of me, mm-hmm. it does. And that's that's one thing that the older I get, I, I see it being the challenge more than trying to kill a big buck. It's not the it's not the yep. big buck is the end game. It's the 
Yeah. It's the difficulty of the hunt that I really that I yep. really like. Yep, absolutely, man. I'll tell you, it's the big. Here's the deal. Here's what I I believe in, and you'll probably agree with me on this. I mean, you know, shooting the big deer on film ain't. I mean, that's those days are kind of over, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's it really is. It's um, you know, it's a flooded market. I've seen it coming from a long time ago, and it's about having a good time and and. Uh, doing unique things and, and, uh, you know, stepping outside the box for sure. And definitely what Jared started with the public land on the ground, crawling and brawling. I mean, that's, that fits exactly what I love to do. You know, I started that Turkey reaping stuff back in the, you know, probably about seven, eight years ago and all that hit the fan man versus Turkey and all that. And I just love, you know, sneaking in on stuff and and getting as close as you can and so it just fit what i love to do and it's i'm i'm really enjoying it this just popped up in in my head do you think mm-hmm. that you could ever catch a turkey with your bare hands 100 percent. i'm gonna do it i actually uh <laughs> I, i've touched them i've touched them and i just haven't got a hold of one yet and uh it's gonna happen i got another little trickaroo that's uh in the works that uh, I think it's going to be really cool and entertaining. It's something I don't know about if I can really bring it to market because it, there might be some legal issues with it, with, <laughs> with you know, me getting sued if somebody makes a decoy off of it or if I make something. I don't know. I have to look into it, but it, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's, instead of being in the nosebleed, you're in, you're in uh, Sniffer's Row with the turkey. <laughs> That's nuts. I tell you what, man, I've called in – I've called – with no decoy just sitting in the timber calling man i've called some toms in really close to the point where mm-hmm. i i don't even think if i sw- if i swung my gun one direction i probably would have hit him yeah so <laughs> that's awesome and that's just fun man i mean yeah. just to get them like get them like that i mean obviously you know hey it's a long shot me trying to catch one but i really think i'm gonna do it i've been really close and i it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a how could i put it it's something that I want to do. It's not like I'm trying to like outdo or anything like that. I just want to, I just want to do it and I guarantee it's going to be awesome. And it's right. just going to be something that's just stuck in my mind that I have to get out of my system. Yeah. I am going to kill one with my bare hands. <laughs> All right. So I've, caught, I've actually caught two turkeys before, um, you know, into like they ran into the fence stuff when i was out running this uh um big property back in my younger days and i had a couple two different times where i and i let the turkeys go they ran into a fence a big gobbler and i caught a hen the other time but caught the gobbler in the fence he got in there and i ran him down and got him up against there and you know took a quick picture and let him go but that was pretty cool and they don't here's the deal turkeys everybody thinks turkeys are going to be like they're going to like try pecking you they're not they're not like a raccoon or something like that they go into like a pair they pair they just go into paralyze like if you were to grab a chicken they just kind of hold there or whatever yeah that's what a turkey does. they ain't going to try pecking you and all that <laughs> stuff they're scared, they're scared out of their mind so that's funny so so uh so this year I mean, it sounds to me like you snuck up on a real good Iowa whitetail uh, on mm-hmm. some public. And um, uh, is it a buck that you had any history with or just kind of uh, um, from the ground, you spotted him one time and went after him? Yep, here's the deal. Um, in Iowa, what we're doing, it's it's very rare that you're going to see the deer, a, a deer 
than the year before. I mean, it could happen. We've we've seen it, seen it. But I'm not hunting deer that way. You know, I'm not running cameras. I'm not I'm not hunting one particular deer because when it's public ground, these deer you can't you can't uh, plan on that type of stuff. So I mean, yeah. if I see a good shooter, obviously I want to go in after him after him. And if it's a good one, great. And you know, I don't. I don't really have any history with any of these deer that we're going after. You know, obviously we plan, Hey man, I hope that deer made it. You know, we see a lot of three-year-olds, man, I hope he makes it to four, hope he makes it to five or whatever. You know, I haven't really connected the dots yet on, on seeing one and then going back out the next year and killing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Uh, so Mm -hmm. just kind of located him, snuck up on him and killed him. Was this like, uh, how long did it take from the time that you saw him to the time that you, uh, ended up, uh, drawing back and shooting him? Okay. Right now I want to actually share you, uh, share with you before I shot the deer that I shot, um, me and Matt snuck up on this one. I watched this. I don't know what he was, maybe a mid one forties eight pointer. And I think his tallest time was seven inches. Just big mass just a big mature giant deer not a real high score just a beautiful animal one you see and you're like oh my god i gotta kill this deer yeah you know the genetics to him is just he's as smart as any two 200 300 inch deer in the wild he just didn't have quite the rack but we actually waited six hours for this deer i have never been so cold i've made <laughs> like lost circulation in my legs because we were in a spot where we couldn't really move and uh, I waited six hours for that deer, and I hit a horse weed when he stood up. Oh. And it's all on film. It's it's kind of I I was gonna be a rebel and swim this creek across, or not swim it, but wade across. I probably would have went up to my waist, and I would have been able to shoot him, um, you know, at, at ten yards bedded. But there was a risk of him hearing me. The wind wasn't consistent. It wasn't blowing hard, constant. It would it calmed down, and it was just too risky to slide in there and and uh get him but um this this deer that i ended up shooting he i actually went in after another deer in the morning got into position we've been watching a deer that we were seeing con- consistently doing the same thing the last couple of days so we slid in there and uh anyways we gave it about an hour and a half kind of getting cold we figured we'd better get out on the road see if we could get something else spotted there wasn't a lot of activity where we were well on the way out get about halfway to the truck and i look back and there's the buck that we were hunting coming out into the field i just wasn't patient enough there kind of got a little rammy went started heading back and then i spotted another one uh, the one i ended up shooting which wasn't quite as big i thought he was bigger and uh, i watched him bed with his doe and the lay of the land was in position for me to give him the sneakeroo and i got right right uh downwind of him it was perfect man awesome it's all it's all on film you'll see it on the next next year's white teledrone for sure it's unbelievable how it worked out you know and it's not a giant deer the deer looks bigger than it is i'm gonna say he's a high 40s to 150s deer beautiful animal is he a mature deer no i you know i'm not happy with him yes that's what it's about for me now and and uh you know when you're hunting public ground you can't pass a deer up like that yeah absolutely absolutely it's a it's it's yeah again i keep going back to it's never it's about the experience right it's you know yeah it is it's 100 about the experience now for me because you you just said in this in this entire story about this buck you told us this whole story and the the last little part of it the the 30 seconds was about the size of his antlers and i like i didn't care i don't even care 
what the score of that. Yeah. It's just a kick-ass story. Yeah. Exactly. I knew he looked, he looked good. Obviously, I don't want to shoot a little bass to rack. You know, whatever. That's my own preference. Yep. But he looked beautiful to me. He was cool. I seen the split in the in the grass there. All I could see was the top of his rack. I mean, it was just, trust me, it was an exciting situation all the way to the to the moment. And it unfolded pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So you get done in Iowa, and then you mm-hmm. haul ass down to Kansas? Yes. We, uh, Loaded the stuff up, um, you know, got organized, didn't want to get too rammy and leave something. Well, obviously, I did leave a few things I wanted, but it never never fails, you know. Your mind's 100 mile an hour trying to do this, trying to do that. I've already got spent 10 days. I got 50 paintings I need to get ready but for Christmas, so all that's in my mind. We finally load up into the minivan and cruise out there, and oh, my gosh, I don't know how many days we spent out there. Maybe it was, I'm going to say, actually, I got that kind of reversed. I only spent maybe six or seven days in Iowa and killed one. I kind of forget. And then the 10th day in Kansas. No, how was it? Yeah, I'm looking at your Instagram. Long time. I don't don't know how many days. Long damn time. I know I hunted from the 5th of November to uh, like two days before Thanksgiving. And I shot that deer two days before Thanksgiving. And it was a decoy type of event. Uh, we didn't get, have a lot of situations. Didn't see a lot of um, big deer on public or anything like that. I mean, we hunted. Think of this, man. We we drove literally put on the van two to three hundred miles a day, driving, glassing, trying to get visual on a on a shooter buck on public. And I bet we only seen three shooter bucks total in in probably I think it was probably fifteen days, twelve days. So oh. that's a lot of time out there, man. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that was down in Kansas. Of, yeah, that's in Kansas. Okay. That, you, I mean, that's driving. And we, I'm telling you, we seen, I've seen some of the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, but they were on private ground, um, you know, in between public pieces or, you know, you know, a few hundred yards away from public or, or whatever. It was really beautiful to see those deer. Um, but from, I'm going to say, glassing, all day long daylight to dark you know i mean there's some days we didn't even see you know a deer over 110 inches on public you know and i yeah. mean you'll see a bathroom rack here and there but man we just kept grinding and it's all about and it's a numbers game it's a, it's a timing and you just got to put your time in most people ain't gonna be able to handle it i mean you imagine hunting 10 days and not even seeing a um a deer over 130 inches on public ground i mean it's that's a grind, man. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. It really is. Absolutely. It's a method sport for sure. So down in Kansas, uh, you know, you mentioned you, you saw some pretty big deer on private ground. Do you, do you ever go and, like, cold knock on a door and say, like, hey, do you mind if we hunt your property? I'll tell you what, man. I, uh, that's how I used to do things. Um, I'll tell you, I don't know. We might, you never know, we might get a, a vote. And uh, maybe do a season uncuff is what me and Jared are going to call it. That's what we're kind of debating on, where it's a uh, knock on door, spot a big one, get permission, slide in and kill it. Because I'm telling you right now, if I could have done that, I could have killed some world-class deer in the last three years doing it. Yeah. And just the opportunity. You know, things could happen in, in, in on the stock, but I'm telling you right now, it's a whole nother level. If I could go out and do that again, knock on a door, it's going to be it's gonna be ugly. 
Yeah. On big ones. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's going to happen. But we might go uncuffed next year or the year after. You never know if people want want us to do it. Uh, we got we talk about a little bit of, in this video coming out that Jared got done. So we'll see if people want to see something like that. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. It's all public what we're doing, but we might do a season uncuffed. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Might as well. I mean, that's, you know, with with lack of public ground uh, in the state of Iowa, which it's like 2% uh, of the entire yeah. state and all private yeah. ground. I mean, I had to get good at knocking on doors real quick, especially if I wanted to, yeah. to hunt a higher caliber deer. Yep. And the knocking on door days are, they're, they're getting to be almost done. You know oh, I mean? Yeah. That's what's kind of tough, but it's uh here's the deal. You can be mad at it or you can adjust to the situation. You just got to adjust to it. You can, you know, you can't really sit around and complain about it. It sucks. I used to kind of complain about it back in the day. It doesn't do you no good. Obviously, if you can't get on there, guys got to lease ground. That's part of the, that's part of it these days. Or you, or hunt public. I'm happy with hunting public. I haven't had a problem yet. I yep. love it. Yep, absolutely. And there's plenty of public spots. A lot of people like, ah, it's public. It's being hunted. I mean, you don't. It's not like that, like you think. I mean, different parts of the United States it is, but different parts. It's I. There's plenty of plenty of places and and opportunities to get beautiful deer. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. The the moment that I start having problems in Iowa trying to find you know permission ground to hunt and maybe the the uh, public ground becomes overrun or I'm I'm having a difficulty in Iowa. Man, I'm I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. I'll go to I'll go to yeah. North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska. I'll go to you know Wyoming or whatever, and I'll start you know, hunting whitetails in different states if I have to. Absolutely, man. I mean, absolutely. Sorry about that. Someone's trying to call me in, but we're good to go. But, yeah, I'll tell you, it's uh, – I I remember when I first started hunting, it was probably – I had probably three to 5,000 acres lined up of private ground that I could hunt. Yeah. Um, Within five years after, you know, hunting and really – hit 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 the uh, social media world and stuff grew i knew it was gonna you know things started getting leased up part of the cycle and uh you know i lost a lot of that stuff and people started hunting you know right over the top of me wasn't there's plenty of room there but it just got to be just too much of a mess for me so i'm i'm happy doing what i'm doing now you know i'm i'm in the process hopefully buying some ground and uh you know i'll have a landowner i can landowner tag and i can go back and kill a big one on my own private piece type of deal but until then i'm always gonna hunt public anyway now yeah i just love it yeah absolutely so i want to i kind of want to pivot uh here a second i want to okay. talk about your artwork because okay. you know i've you know i look at your stuff and then i know larry zach he lives in iowa as well but uh um, oh, yeah. you mentioned in high school is when you kind of got into art how did you get, I mean, how did you step into that? The, you know, how did you, number one, people can like art, but they can be really shitty at making art. And that's me, right? Like I, I'm horrible at drawing and painting and all that stuff, but I like art. So where, where did you get your start? Well, my dad was an artist, not so much an artist like what I do. He was more of a sign painter, um, uh, custom, he did, you know, before stickers and vinyl, he did all the, the signs and, and pen striping on motorcycles, custom cars and stuff like that. That was his kind of art style. Well, I got it genetically from him. Uh, I've said it before. Art's like 
like uh, music talent. You either got it or you don't. You know, yeah. you can you can train to get a little bit better, but you either got to got it or you don't. I got lucky, got fortunate. I got the art talent. I've used it. I stepped into it. Um, the first year I started painting, my art teacher, I wasn't even going to join art class. And um, because it's not a, you didn't need it in high school for a credit, you know? Right. I needed it for, I needed to use, <laughs> I was I was skipping for hunting and stuff too much. I needed to, <laughs> to use my credit for stuff that I actually needed, you know? And, and I didn't really want to draw fruits and vegetables and all that goofy stuff to tell you the truth, you know? Yeah. And I told her that, and she's like, listen, she's like, oh, I'm going to hook you up. I'll give you an A. You can paint whatever you want. You just help me with the other students and stuff like that. Because I told her, I'm like, I'm not going to join the art class unless I get to paint what I want. And uh, anyway, that was what she's like, deal. So I, that's what I did. That's when I first started actually painting. I always drew before that, started painting, and uh, it's been history. I, I mean, that's when it started, and I've been painting ever since. It's crazy yeah. how things happen. So how did you trans you know transition from painting on let's say like a canvas you know your you know your outdoor theme stuff on canvas to doing what you're doing cuz you you do mm-hmm. a pretty specific painting style and tell people what that is. Yes, okay. Well, I actually I started painting on canvases and stuff like that and that's what I love. That's what I really love to do. I'm not going to say I'm I'm what I'm doing now is not what I want to be doing. And this is what I'm doing to pay bills for, you know, my art talent. It's an actual specific, um, art style. That's been, it's been kind of a niche for me. I've been able to make a living doing it on these Turkey feathers, painting on wild Turkey feathers. And, uh, I got the idea from a, a friend of mine, an older fella. And he, uh, he gave me the idea and I started painting them probably 12 years ago. And I painted thousands of these things. I mean, it's full time. I get it probably an order a day. So how long does it how long does it take you to paint a picture on a turkey feather? It depends. Every every everything's got different time. I'm gonna say from an hour to two hours, um, three hours. I mean, I it just depends on how you know how how much details on whatever I'm painting. Some some people want more than one animal on one, whether it's two dogs or two or three deer. That takes more time, and I charge more for that. But uh, yeah, it takes uh, it takes a little bit of time. I've gotten really good at like signing my name now. I mean, I can really paint really quick. Obviously, I can't spend all day on a turkey feather because I wouldn't make no money. Right. So I I I spend enough time to make it look beautiful, good enough, half where people are happy with them and then i have to get on to the next order i would never be able to get caught be caught up right so eventually i want to literally only take so many turkey feather paintings a year and i want to go back into my big canvases i know i can build some really really amazing stuff and that's what i'm looking forward to you know i got a couple side businesses once they get kicked off going that's when i'm going to start doing some serious artwork yeah absolutely I have to rely on the artwork to pay my bills. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear that. Uh, so, how long did it take you to get good? You know, because I, I take it there's a learning curve to painting on turkey feathers as opposed from canvas. Yes, um, it's the first probably fifty to hundred of them I painted. I was painting on them, and I'm going to give you one of my little trick ruse that a lot of people don't know about. Um, 
I started painting on them just on the feather. Well, you take a turkey feather and it spreads, a, it spreads apart a little bit. You yep. know what I'm saying? And when you're painting on that, it's going to have a tendency to spread apart. So I did a bunch of them that way before I really figured it out. And I started taking black clear spray paint and I put a, a couple coats on the feather and uh, voila, you got you a good surface to paint on. It holds together to where I can do my artwork on it. And uh, it's, it's tedious work. It's small. Yeah. Here, 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 here's a here's a good uh, way to put it. If I did a painting three by four foot, the hair detail is going to be a lot easier to paint than if it's three by four inches. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so absolutely. to get the detail on small stuff is way harder than doing big stuff. Most of your paintings you see out there, they're like, man, how do they get that detail? They do it really big. Each hair is about an inch long. <laughs> and then when they shrink that down, that's how you get the detail. That's how that's how that works. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this stuff is painting on turkey feather, I believe, is probably one of the hardest things to paint on. Um, they're just a unique gift, man. People love them. I can't – it blows my mind. I don't know how many I've done, thousands of them. It's crazy. I can't – it's unbelievable. When did I, brought, it, I think I got, more, I got an order a little bit ago right before I, um, you texted me. Yeah. <laughs> what like is there what when did it get big i mean like for to, it just seems so simple but like okay. you said it's it's a niche right painting on a turkey yep. feather and i'm looking at one right now it looks like there's a custom frame with it and it yep. just looks yep. it looks real like some old barn wood or something so yep. when yep. did it all of a sudden just like i'm sure it started out what did it start off as a hobby or a request from somebody first um I, I knew when this guy told me John Harper is his name is his name great guy it's the way he he just he raised turkeys and he had a bunch of turkey feathers laying around and he knew I painted and he just put two and two together I've never seen anybody paint on him at this time and uh, he gave me the idea and I instantly as soon as he told me I'm like this is a no brainer right I'm like I know I can sell these things and so this is kind of cool but at the hunting shows whether it's the Deer Classic all the hunting big hunting shows whether it's minnesota wisconsin all them i started traveling around um i think it was my senior year of high school and out and like for about four or five years i went around to all the big shows and i would load the back of my truck i'd get about 50 to 100 of these feathers painted up and i would go and i'd display them i'd set up at these hunting shows and that's how i started selling them man and people i mean we're, i was selling them all at these shows and then uh, that's how it, that's how it grew, and I just got my my name from that. And uh, now I've just got a huge following with my artwork. It's pretty cool how how things happen. It took a lot of work to get where I'm at, and to get the following, and to where you know I can have a consistent uh, clientele base for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's crazy, man. Uh, and that's yeah. I mean, it's awesome that that you found that niche and. You know, yep. it brings you enough income where, you know, you can go get crazy in November chasing these deer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, here's this is kind of cool. Well, when I first started painting, I would just paint maybe like 10 pheasant ones, 10 uh, deer ones, 10 uh, with like deer sheds on them. I'd paint some bears. You know, I'd paint stuff and then try to sell them. Now, I was like, after a while, I'm like, you know what? I, I'd rather just do custom stuff, paint what people want. So then I just thought I really I stopped doing the shows. And started doing that, and now I there's no way I could do a show, yeah, because <laughs> I can't keep up with the orders I got right now, and that's kind of where I wanted to be. Um, I didn't want to have to travel around and try to sell my artwork. Now it just comes to me, and it's 
it's pretty awesome pretty fortunate yeah absolutely for, for sure so you uh you love hunting whitetails you love i mean you, it's just like you just love being outside but one thing i'm also I what love, i love more than anything is bass i'm a bass fisherman and that's okay? what i was going to ask you that's what i was going <laughs> to ask you because i see all these pictures on your instagram page of you holding some some giant fish too and um so so what is it that you like so much about fishing uh fishing is is a science i'm telling you ever since i was a little kid my mom and dad would drop me off out of my home lake and i would walk the banks there they they dropped me off two to three times probably too young to be dropping me off they knew i was good and i live in a part of the world where you know you don't really worry if you don't have to worry that much, you know, and, and, uh, they dropped me off. I was fishing and I just, I grew up bass fishing. I loved it ever since I was a little kid. I wanted to be a professional bass fisherman and I'm going to give it a whirl for sure. I'm, I, uh, definitely, um, takes a lot of money, takes a lot of, uh, a lot of time and I'm kind of in the position to be able to do it. And I'm finally getting to the point where I can go to the next level. Pretty excited about it been a dream of mine that's crazy so like when and this is always a uh, it's always a a question that i've had for someone who's like really into fishing um especially tournament fishing because it's not like anybody can go like i want to say anybody can go shoot a big buck on film if they go to like an outfitter or they have a big giant you know, well-managed piece of property, but everybody's the same. Almost the, the, the playing, the playing field is the same on a lake or in a river, right? So you actually have to be better than the other guy locating these fish and trying to catch them. Cause it's all so, so it's unbelievable. Like, (laughs) go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, how, how does one person become like, and maybe use yourself as an example. How does how did you become from hey I just love to fish to I want to kind of get into it competitively now? Um, you know, it just takes time on the water. Um, I I fished a lot probably around competitively you know local tournaments and stuff like that when I was probably I think my early twenties and then I got a chance to go to Alaska and uh, do a bunch of fishing there and and enjoy that and you know it was about i was there in alaska for five summers and i got probably about the third or fourth summer i'm like i'm missing real fishing which is bass fishing catching trout and salmon and stuff like that on a fly rod it's it takes some skill but it's not like it's not it's not like a largemouth bass 100 percent largemouth bass are one of the most amazing creatures and most competitive bass fish to try to catch and try to like strategize and and to like figure out and bass it's it's not that they're the hardest thing to catch a lot of people relate bass as an easy fish to catch from you know fishing out of farm ponds but when you feel that when you got bass in the lake and you're competing against guys that are just as good or better and uh, all the little things and all the new electronics you know hummingbirds to to what they got going on to the trolling motors and everything like that and and just the, the it's to be consistent and be good, it's time on the water, and you have to be doing new things all the time. And decision making probably the the number one key in the bass fishing. I mean, being able to know when to move out of a spot, go to a different spot, 
strategizing your time that way and obviously you know being able to you know fish too you know i yeah. mean be able to cast and all that stuff and just know what to do it's just it's science man it's it's crazy bass fishing is one of the most competitive sports like golf yeah i'm telling G- you give me an example give me an example of what you say bass fishing is a science um well when you let's say it is because the fish are always changing and uh, sometimes they'll stay stable for a certain amount of time, but then they change. you got to be able to make them adjustments and stay on them. And to be in the top five in, in tournaments, whether it's local or professional like that, I haven't got to go to the, you know, the real big level yet. It's in the works. But to be able to be consistent and do all that, you got to be able to make the adjustments with the fish. And that's, that's the hardest thing people have, you know, to, uh, you know, to be able to do that, that's, it's crazy how some guy and you look at the guys that are consistent they're consistent for a reason they're just they just know when to make them adjustments and how to read the situation weather time water temperature and everything goes into play and it's it's unbelievable man it's just never-ending learning for sure i mean i'm i'm like i'm fresh i'm fresh at it and i feel like i know a lot you know yeah (laughs) so awesome i love it's just my competitive that's my competitive, you know, I wanted to race race cars one day, and I was like, you know, that's just, that's just a silly dream. You know, I didn't have the mind to do it. And I'm like, what's back into bass fishing, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds, it's not that silly though, because it sounds like to me, like you're the guy just, just from knowing you and having the conversation with you that, you know, if you want to do it, you're going to go do it. You know, that's right. You know, everything from going and, you know, walking up on big bucks that are bedded to, painting on feathers to hey i'm gonna now i want to be a uh, professional bass fisherman uh it sounds to me like you just kind of go and do it with that said though like i've talked to some guys who are on the tournament uh chain you know they're they're at, on all those big bass tournaments throughout the the nation and they're on the road a lot is I mean, are yep. you are you gonna try to just do a couple here and there, or are you gonna cannonball into this and just say, "Oh, I'm professional now. I, I'm it's time to grind." <laughs> here's the deal. Anybody here, here's actually kind of a cool fact. Anybody can go fish these tournaments. It just it's are you able to dedicate time to go do it? Or are you gonna you know the fees are you know they range from twenty five hundred to. 2500 to 1700 to 300 a tournament and and more in a few of them and are you able to spend the money to go do it and it's all about being confident i'll tell you man if i like if i want to do something i want to go after man i just i really feel that and i'm i don't have a lot of money i feel like you know you can save up a little bit enough to get yourself in that position to go do it um i'm just just my art talent has gave me the stability to be able to like do what I want when I want type of deal. And that's helped. Okay. I haven't had a consistent job. I've chosen my lifestyle, which that means not getting married early, having kids earlier and stuff like that. I have chosen that. And that's Katie, you know, let me get in the position that I am. Um, you know, things will change. You know, I got an amazing girlfriend now. I mean, she loves what I love to do. I'm going to, she'll travel with me and and fish these terms she knows it's a dream of mine and i'll bring her along with me and we'll bring a camper and and she can pre-fish just me it'll be a good time yeah just i'm making things happen you know what i mean yep absolutely and that's a good that's a good thing because i was you know i didn't know what i wanted in life uh man 
I tell I don't say this on the podcast a lot, but mm-hmm. when I was younger, probably starting around eighteen to about thirty. I was a big piece of shit. Like all I did was try to drink the river dry and party and chase women. And just like, I didn't have a goal. I didn't do anything like all my, my pro my priorities were all screwed up, but now I'm trying to, you know, I got a wife and three kids and now I'm trying to change my lifestyle to put myself in a position where I can maybe change my life a little bit with, with all, with this network. So you know, and you're doing it right now a different way than I'm doing it. So, like, when you decided, hey, I want to I want to rely on this art. But I don't need any, like, fancy things. I don't need, you know, I, li- I can live in a cabin, all these things. Was that, was that just, like, a no-brainer for you? Or did you have to sit down and have a conversation with yourself to say, okay, if, if I want to have the flexibility to go do whatever I want, whenever I want – I have to, you know, there's a conversation yeah. that you have to have with yourself. Yeah, no, 100%, man. I've, I've definitely, I've chosen my path. I should be definitely way further ahead than I am right now, which that doesn't mean, I don't mean to sound like greed, but I could have, I could have, there's so many times where I've, you know, I could have been painting more, but you know what? I've got to live in a pretty amazing life. I don't know if I had a shitty one before this one, but I have definitely lived an amazing life. Um, I'm happy right now with everything I've got to do. It's been, I've been so fortunate, made amazing friends. Everything I'll tell you has been through because of my artwork. That's how I've made, made so many friends. It's been my end. It's been connection. It gave me the opportunities. That was kind of my, my end to everything with my artwork. Yeah. And without that, you know, I'm, I'm sure I could have, could be, you know, doing what I'm doing maybe, but I don't think so, man. That's what, that's how I've got to meet everybody. Um, that I know that's that I'm doing today. Yeah, it's kind of cool how how things work out. But yeah, I've definitely chose this path. Do I want to live in? A, I, I have a small cabin that I live in right now. Do I want to always live in that? No. I eventually want to have this and have a different place. Have this as my like my hunting cabin. Um, I want nice things. I love to. I love uh, good food and I love to have a good time. I love to travel. So I have yeah. to uh, come up with different forms of income. Which I'm not saying I'm going to go out and be a professional bachelor and make. Uh, fisherman and, and make a living that's not yeah. the plan i got my my crank wraps um um application we got a patent on that i want to promote my own product and uh go out on the on the uh, circuit and promote stuff that's going to make me money advertise my own stuff you know yeah be cool to you know win a tournament here and there but i'm not going out there thinking i'm going to smoke kevin van dam i'd like to beat him sometime i think i will but i'm telling you right now it's 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 going out and promoting what i have going on and making a living that way that's what i want to do and then paint what i want to paint someday eventually you know masterpieces larry's axe style as you can say yeah i love his stuff and and uh, someday i want to paint some stuff like that and I, I think i can i just gotta adjust my time a little bit to be able to spend time on pieces like that yeah absolutely absolutely okay so um you've you know we've talked about the hunting and the fishing and the painting but at the end of the day, we all have, uh, you know, other things that we want to do. Let's, you know, we'll call it a bucket list, right? So mm-hmm. it, has there been any big hunting trip or fishing trip or kind of adventure that you're, you've been thinking a lot about and haven't done yet, or you have in the works? Okay, man, I'm, 
I've got to do a lot of the stuff that I've always wanted to do, to tell you the truth. But there is one thing that I really want to do. I do love fly fishing for trout. Yeah. I want to go to New Zealand and fish them big giant brown trout in New Zealand on a fly rod. Mm-hmm. That's been, that's probably my, if I were to pick a trip to go do, that would probably be it fishing wise, hunting wise. I don't know. It's hard to beat what I'm doing right now. The one I mean chasing a big whitetail um, on the ground is hard to beat. You know, um, yeah. um, I'd probably do more if I did went out of state, it wouldn't be, or out of the country, it wouldn't be for, you know, probably, you know, Africa would be cool, but I'm not really into, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if I yeah. get a good deal, I'd be cool to go get some stuff to make some cool, you know, pillows and some, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, or, I don't know, maybe just, a, I don't know. I'm not really into that stuff. You yeah, know what I'm, I'm saying? I'm not into Africa either, dude. So I, yeah. I get you. Some people are, man. Everybody's yep. into different things, yep. you know? I absolutely. mean, I'm just not into that flavor of style of hunting. That's just all there is to it. Yep, absolutely. What about like, elk or mule deer have you had the opportunity to go hunt those i've uh i've I've hunted elk one time for myself i've been out out hunting and calling bulls in and having a good time and filming so i've called some big bulls in um i've i hunted for myself in new mexico hunted five days because i had to go a buddy of mine owned some ground in texas and he wanted me to go down there and guide some guys that were wanting me to take them out and all this stuff well, I had five day, days to kill a, an elk on this piece. Got really close. There wasn't a spot where it had a lot of big bulls, but killing an elk with a bow is on the yeah. ground. That's pretty awesome, especially on public ground if you can pull it off. I mean, yeah. where we went, and a friend of mine, Jeremy, he took me there a few years, and, man, I called some pretty nice bulls in there. I mean, I'm going to do that, and my next hunt will probably be a, uh, an elk hunt. Go kill me a big bull elk on public. That's yeah. probably what I'm going to do next kill big pronghorns and stuff like that that's fun with a bow but i don't know it's hard to get away from whitetails yeah absolutely absolutely and i i know other guys like that that are just like so hey man when are you gonna start going out west and they're like i don't need to go out west i got everything i want right here you know and they the same guy i mean he lives in iowa but he also takes uh once a year he takes a trip to nebraska and hunts in a area of the state that has kind of a uh whitetail muley mix and uh Ooh, wow that'd be cool yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i'd bounce around and do that yes cool. yep so you're also you know you're also a bit of an entrepreneur and you mentioned uh some of the businesses that you've already uh that you've started talk to us about what these crank wraps are okay well my crank wraps i actually got this idea quite a few years ago um we have a lot of our lakes. They have uh, a lot of crappies. We don't have shad in my home lakes. Um, so obviously what are they schooling on? They're schooling on white crappies. They've never made to this day. I, I've never seen a crankbait or any type of bait that looks really like a craw that matches what a crappie looks like. And you know, and that water gets clear, it matters. So I started painting baits, uh, nothing too crazy. Kind of, I've even drawn on them with a damn Sharpie to try to get, uh, you know, a good crappie pattern on them. So I thought it would help. And, uh, I started drawing on them and I figured out a better solution, um, and worked on it. It's probably took me, I had the idea quite a few years ago, I think 2012. And what it is, it's an application. There's only one out there. We have a patent on it and on the application to even put this on a bait, but all your hard baits from jerk baits, uh, top waters, crank baits, spinner bait blades, all that, um, 
I have them designed. I've designed everything. I've never paid anybody. I've designed, I've learned Photoshop and everything from YouTube, taught myself how to do it. And I designed what my vision was and called crank wraps. And uh, I got all the patterns to match every, you know, species of bait that people try to replicate. And I give, I got the realest baits in the world, hands, hands down. So explain what a crank wrap is and, and how you use it. Mm-hmm. So on packages, I have them bait specific. Some of them fit, you know, multiple different baits because a lot of baits are the same size, jerk baits and, and crank baits and stuff like that, square bill baits. Um, what it does, it's a two-sided deal, and you, you just lay it on there. It's like putting a, a paint job on it. And you use a little bit of heat to kind of go around those curved areas. And, and uh, you know, to have a, a custom bait painted, stuff's expensive. It costs from 20 to 50 to $100 to have one painted. Well, with mine, I kind of deleted the whole painting situation. You don't have to paint baits no more. You can literally uh, put my my wraps right on the on them and put them on. And you got a realer life looking bait than you were to ever have painted or anything. I mean, it's the real life image on the side of a bait. It doesn't get any better than that. That's crazy. They're amazing. But That's cool. uh, all right. Yeah, you can check them out at Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. So what else? Because you you do don't you do something else too? <laughs> yeah. I got a bunch of little things in the farm. I mean, my goal is to have about five or six streams of income coming in at all time. Wasn't that, that's, that's kind of the dream deal. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, to do my artwork, I'd like to have my crank wraps bringing in. Hey, so, you know, do a licensing deal with, uh, my, my big buck. That's unbelievable. That's this thing's loss. I've been making this stuff ever since I was real young and, uh, finally brought it to the market, uh, year to, to spend this is my second year full year now and uh it's flying off the shelves this is a top seller at shield jordan creek which is pretty cool and and my online sales are pretty awesome and it's a cedar cedar cover scent makes it like a cedar tree doesn't get any better than that so and i got a lot of guys that say oh well we don't have a lot of cedars well let me tell you something that deer's never been scared of a cedar tree i yeah. promise you that yeah absolutely so, so it's it's a just like a, a concentrated cedar scent in a yep. bottle that you you spray on yourself. Yep, hundred percent all natural. Um, I'm going to change a few things to be able to preserve it longer. It's a it's an all natural product. It's fresh. I sell it fresh. This ain't something I really want you to buy right now and use next year. Yeah, this is a you know, and it, I sell it cheap enough, man. I mean, it's eleven dollars to twelve dollars a bottle. Like it's you use it, throw it away, buy a new bottle. It's cheap enough, but I make it fresh. It's just like you treat it almost like a gallon of milk or, or dopey. I yeah. know it's not very good, but I mean, you know, you use it, you don't use dopey from last year. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It just doesn't make sense. So cool, man. But cool. Well, that's awesome. Big buck ruiner. That's right. Well, I, I, t- I tell you what, I've, uh, I've taken up a lot of your time and you need to get back to painting. If you're going to make those, uh, all those. I'm why I'm talking to you, man. <laughs> You, that's awesome. The entire time, yeah, you're, no. you're, you just, Paint, you don't stop. I've already, I've already painted half of a dog feather uh, <laughs> with, a, with a painter on it. That's funny. Trick, well, I tell you what, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, hop on the podcast and BS with me for yeah. a while, man. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I, I appreciate you having me, man. I uh, hope you have a good rest of your season. I'm sure you got a muzzleloader tag, don't you? I actually I don't have a muzzleloader tag, but I got a standing bean field, and I can use 
I'll use my uh, bow during muzzleloader season. Jackpot. Yeah, yep. well, cool, man. That could happen. That could happen. I hope you wish you good luck. And, uh, yeah, keep in touch, man. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout-out to Chansey for hopping on and uh, taking time out of his day. Huge shout-out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems. Man, uh, please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. And um, without their support, I probably wouldn't be doing as much of this. So uh, go look up all uh, the partners of this podcast. Huge shout-out to each and every one of you. I'll say it to till I'm blue in the face. Thank you for your support because without your support, this also is not happening. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And one thing that I I, I don't do good at, like very good at is I'm, one thing I'm not very good at is wishing you guys good luck the rest of your season. I get I get a ton of uh, emails, so many that I can't even uh, respond to them all on messages, and I try to um, as much as I possibly can, um, but there's only, only so many hours in a day, and uh, this is me telling all of you, thank you guys for your support, and this is me telling you, I wish you guys more success than me. I mean, I if I could if I could send an email to every one of the followers just saying personally, good luck, man. I really mean it. I hope everybody out there is successful and uh, and is able to accomplish their goals, not only in hunting but in life, man. Um, so keep at it. Thank you very much. And uh, man, I tell you what, the 2018 is damn near over, right? Christmas is almost here, and. Um, Man, I don't even know what to say. I'm just blessed to be uh, uh, where I'm at. I'm not going to lie. I've busted my balls doing it and uh, also have had a little luck help me out along the way, which, you know, hey, man, sometimes, you know, some people say they'd rather be lucky than good any day. And uh, you mix a little bit of those and hard work and uh, here I stand. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, just there's season left, right? And, dude, I hear it. I, I still hear it every single year every single month of the hunting season somebody fell out of their tree stands and i mean this from the bottom of my heart and our friends at hunter safety systems mean it as well wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of your week